tell me your name and then <laughs> and that's not the complicated part the complicated okay. part is what is your role at Kijabi Hospital uh, my name is Faith Lele Mailu I trained as a family physician and mm-hmm. uh, finished in 2019 and as I finished I was offered a job to lead a quality and safety department I think I was very silly in taking it because I don't think I knew what I was getting myself into especially because I think I only know of this position in two or three other institutions yeah. that have a JCI accreditation and in Kenyatta yeah. so that it's it's very new in the Kenyan space but it is things that I would ask myself even before getting into the position like basically different aspects of it would would intrigue me and so yeah. I thought hmm let's see where I can go with this it ended up being bigger than I imagined I still don't think I have the full grasp but I think uh, and so what ended up happening so we just went through a first accreditation process right yes. like at the beginning of this year yeah. and I guess people in America would be very familiar with joint commission yeah. because they do they do a lot of American hospitals we ended up going with What's the name? It's Safe Care. Okay. Which is, I, I tell people it's like, because uh, Safe Care comes out of a collaboration of three institutions mm. JCI mm-hmm. being one of them, mm. um, Farm Access, mm. and an accreditation body in South Africa. And it came out of the realization that many of the standards in JCI were almost out of reach for many hospitals in Africa. Mm. Yet, the question of quality and safety should uh, must be addressed somehow. And so even when you compare the safe care standards and JCI standards, they are not very different. What is allowed in safe care is a modification. For instance, in JCI, for hand washing, very mm-hmm. basic, they require a certain type of sink, a particular number of sinks per staff, always running water, elbow tap preferred you know but in safe care if i have the modification of a bucket and a receiver and a tap and a hand towel right next to it i have met the intention that we are still washing our hands because mm. you have to i mean that's what that's the only way to prepare for covid like because <laughs> we don't have like piles of money sitting sitting, sitting around somewhere. you build like a new wash station every time the entrance to the hospital changes, changes yeah. which has changed like five times this year <laughs> true that yeah, so I think that's what I like about safe care, that mm. it is actually inspiring innovation mm. uh, to still make sure that what needs to happen, happens. Mm. Yeah, There's a lot of local creativity. I like it that the purpose of safety is met, mm. but with local input and creativity. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Yeah. And so all of you guys who are listening to this, I'm sure you all have your own um, joint commission stories. So that part of your job is complicated, but so for everybody listening and you guys know that that's complicated, but then that's the easy part of your job. (laughs) (laughs) But then you've also been chair of the outbreak committee for COVID. So, uh, when I took over the post, one of the things that was, uh, put under me was infection prevention and control. And that's how I ended up with the outbreak, (laughs) outbreak position, Oh, that was a learning curve. <laughs> I'd never managed an outbreak before. Um, yeah, this was quite a learning curve. And I think for two reasons. First, the disease was new. 
and we didn't have a lot of information it's unlike cholera or or uh, ebola like those are the ones that we are used to so this was very new not only to us but globally but two i think as it came new there was a lot of anxiety so i tell people uh for the first six months last year uh of the covid my stress was not even the patients it was the staff <laughs> it was the staff anxieties and the staff fears and and i would want to brand them irrational but i couldn't because um those were people's genuine feelings and concerns and even i had them at some point yeah so those were the things that made it really challenging and now now that we're in our third wave uh, it's a different strain, I think, and it has a different type of impact. But my anxiety now is not staff. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is uh, other things because uh, staff have gotten uh, more comfortable with the disease and managing it and and wearing the PPE um, and, um, yeah, just just going about life mm-hmm. with, with in, in our new dispensation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How so? How did you manage that? Like when somebody's stressed, you know, or saying, "Oh, I'm not going to come to work." What do you What do you say to them? Or I'm not wearing that PPE, yeah. or or you're putting our lives at risk. I think uh, the outbreak committee was very helpful. So I didn't do it by myself. The committee was big, mm. and and I think having um, communication from as many of us that is consistent that we would agree this is our stand this is our position these are the reasons why and this is why we will stick by it so uh, doing it together as a team and and referring people to legit websites because that was part of the challenge there was a lot of uh media that was not right uh, that was very wrong so i told people please have a look at who and see what it is saying please have a look at cdc and that's how we won the battle for ppe because everyone wanted those uh Oh yeah, the suits. The suits. Yes. I call them Ebola suits. They are called hazmat suits. <laughs> Everyone wanted them, and I'd be like, "Please look at uh, what CDC is saying. Please look at what WHO is saying, and then let us talk with mm. that." And 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 I understand the I understand the the anxiety part, but let us first get the knowledge right, and then let us work through the anxiety. What is it? Tell me. Is it your children? Is it? Um, yeah so it would be evidence and then let us work through the emotions and for that we uh, dr mary adam helped us uh do frequent debriefings mm-hmm. um with people on that to just help people because we realized part of it was just fear that he was not informed by anything so once you know what the right thing is it still would not sort am i gonna take this to my children am i going to leave uh, is my job secure um, you know, it didn't knowing that did not address the emotion emotional bit of it. So, having the debriefs was necessary. We also got um, some uh, psychologists who are willing to do sessions pro bono online, and so mm. for some particular staff, we referred them to that option as well. Yeah, mm. I think also crafting messages around we care about you. Because it's true, we do. The, the human resource is the most important resource in an institution. Mm-hmm. And, and um, wording our statements uh, in that way, Salome was very helpful. Um, saying, yeah, we care about, we want to provide PPE to take care of you. If you have any concern, please reach out to Faith or to so-and-so. 
because I don't think we would have done it without uh, staff feeling that we actually do care. Mm. Yeah. So how do you resolve that for yourself? I mean, because you were you were working in the ward, <laughs> like you're in the same boat. What I mean, what do you say to Daniel and Josh when you're walking out in the morning? Like, what are you thinking? Yeah, no. In fact, I remember very early on there was all this media and, and, and we were following the news early on and we didn't realize that he is following it with us. One day he asked me, Mom, are there people with corona in the hospital? And I t- and he asked me, Mom, if you get corona, will you die? I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had my faith initially in the wrong place in that this is not a disease for young people mm. uh, I am young I am fit I am otherwise healthy if I get it I should sail through just fine it is true that, that scientifically is the basis but I lost a cousin who was 27 who wow. was young fit otherwise fine you know and he ended up needing intubation so you know when, when, when that happens you're like whoa I need to put my faith in something else <laughs> can't be in, in the fact that I am otherwise fit and healthy. It has to be in that Lord will protect us and care for us. And we did have, um, so Josh, Josh amazes me in the conversations we have. And we had to talk about it and say, um, God takes care of us. This disease is affecting mainly uh, old people. That's why I'm not taking you to Gogo and Agui. That's grandma and grandpa in Kalinjin um, so that we can take care of them. And we continue to pray that God will protect us. And so we would pray together in the morning as we leave for work and come. And also just helping him realize that's not the only risk. Uh, there is a risk in going to any Kenyan highway. <laughs> there is a risk. <laughs> yes. And that is the reason why we need to continually trust God uh, mm. for protection and, mm. and, and for his cover. Um, yeah, and we'd pray and he'd see me come home more times than not and he'd, he'd, be, he'd be more relaxed. Nowadays, it's not a, a bother in the house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And what were you, when we first sat down, you were telling me something really good, really how you manage manage life as a doctor and <laughs> manage to separate because I mean you have these massive jobs but you've got two kids you've got a husband like you've got a lot of people that need you like how do you how do you manage that yeah I I, I think it took a burnout for me to realize I need to change a few things and one of it was how I disconnect when I get home because uh, you get to work at eight and it is uh, almost often firefighting the whole day. <laughs> it feels like that sometimes of my own because I have procrastinated, but sometimes just because things come up uh, um, in the environment in which we work in. There was one time we did an exercise somewhere and we were coloring uh, a football that's black and white. And in the black place, we were asked to write things that take away your energy. And in the white, it was things that increase your energy. And you need to find ways to doing more of those things that increase your energy. And for me, that includes playing with children, <laughs> exercise, cooking, I don't know, anything but job-related. So that when I get home at five, that's what I do. I will keep my phone aside. If I'm not on call, it will be on 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 do not disturb mode. And if you call the second time, then I know you really wanted me. <laughs> Therefore, I will pick. <laughs> um, and 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 just really trying to disconnect from five p.m. 
uh, until when I get to bed. And in the morning when I wake up, the things will find me and I will... <laughs> And, and, and in the morning, I will wake up. I have just finished reading the book, uh, Tyranny of the Agent, mm. uh, Charles Hamel, Hummel. And, um, and I'd read it at the beginning of residency. So it was good to refresh my, my mind on just not letting the important things get uh, sidetracked because they will become urgent one day. So also just getting to the habit of in the morning, I plan what are the most important things I must achieve for that day and and schedule time for that and make sure I, I get those done. I can't say I have perfected it, but I am, I, I am getting better. You, you're still here <laughs> and you're still smiling 12 months into the pandemic. Yes. You must be doing something right. Yes, I mean, that's what's crazy. Like, it's April 20th, 21st, mm-hmm. a year ago. Yeah. None of us were sure if any of this would be here. Oh. I mean, I think we all assume, like, we would probably still be around somehow, but, like, will the hospital still be still here? Be, will will yeah, anything be happening? Like, there's so much uncertainty and that's so what? much fear. And then it develops into this long, slow, every Never day, ending. just getting beat up. <laughs> It's true. Like I'm remembering the conversations we had with my husband around this time. It was um, if something happens to us, who are our children's caregivers? Like you know, talking to people, like making sure your house is in order, mm. looking at your financial plans and asking them, uh, can this last for a year? <laughs> and we are here a year later, and uh, right in the middle of the third wave. Although I think we are beginning to see the numbers dipping. Um, and you know, it's, when you look at projections, it's like it's going to be like this until maybe December 2022. And it's like, how do you fuel yourself enough to get until there? Because it's, it's, a, it's a very, it drains your energy. It does. And, and some of it for me has also been just the emotion, emotional part of it, especially during when we don't have the spikes, I, I'd say I have a better time. When we don't have the peak waves, things are very manageable. I'm even able to focus back on the accreditation operations and, and other things. But during the waves, especially this particular one, that where we've had a lot more infected, the, the pressure has been on the turning away of patients. Yeah. No one ever gets used to that. Like you, you, Someone has saturations of 60% and you're telling them, uh, please go to the next hospital and you know you even ask yourself will they make it <laughs> to the next hospital yeah. and you see the no one wants to do it so we say it needs to be done at triage let them not even get in the nurse there doesn't want to do it send them okay let them go to the OPD um, uh, the clinical officer said I can't do it let them come to the casualty the casualty nurse is doctor we can't do it you know it comes to you finally as a consultant and you think, I can't do it, but I have to do it. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and even as you make the decision to send the patient away, you get the sense that everyone is disappointed in your decision. Including yourself. Including yourself. <laughs> Maybe most yourself. Yeah. And even the family members can't believe it. In fact, some will say, but you are Kijabe. But you are compassionate. And, you know, there's just... I, I, I don't think there's a way of dealing with that. The, I, even if you debrief, because I did eventually have to get uh, to debrief myself. Mm. But even when you debrief, it's like, 
I didn't train as a healthcare worker to strategize on how to chase patients away from hospital. <laughs> like I never went to school to be taught on that. <laughs> you know? Wow. But then you have the responsibility as a leader to also look at the overall situation and ask yourself what is the correct thing to do. The correct thing to do is to see my oxygen capacity can take in 15 patients. Anyone above that, I will be harming other people. It's as a leader to say a staffing establishment can safely handle 15 patients. In fact, even this current 15, we are already stretching our staff. Like, everyone is at, you know, the elastic end. Mm -hmm. and, and the correct thing is to say, I have to take care of staff, to take care of the ones that I can. Um, so it's like the 15 that we can take care of, we will take care of them very well. We did eventually form a WhatsApp group of different COVID uh, heads facilities. And we would ask, everyone would post on their page, today I have one bed, tomorrow I have one bed. So th that made it slightly easier because you say, go to this hospital. Like, I know here you will have a bed, you know. Um, and that slightly made it better. But that is the that is the thing that is hardest to deal with during peaks. When you are extremely stretched. Yeah. Yeah. But I think we are beginning to, I think, the numbers are beginning to come down. I was on call over the weekend and I had three extra beds and I didn't chase anyone. So that was good. So it, it feels good that we mm. are um, beginning to breathe a little. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you and Jeff <laughs> are, I mean, you you have this big interest in, in missions. Mm -hmm. And Kajabi is interesting in a lot of ways, one of the big ones being what is a mission hospital, right? <laughs> so for somebody in America, they're like, oh, you know, David, like you guys are missionaries. You're at this hospital in Kenya. But then you and Jeff are thinking, like, we want to do mission work. Especially for your husband, that means going to Isiolo or Garissa or like or you know, all these all these places around. What is mission to you? in the christian medical sense yeah i've actually been thinking a bit about that because um a few people have been voicing concern that they feel that we are not as missional as we used to be um, especially those who were in the hospital like what 10 years ago and now i think what should uh, differentiate a mission hospital from any other is the intentionality of spreading the word of God. Mm. How intentional, how you set up your services to ensure that um, anyone that walks in through that door gets to know Christ, to feel the love of Christ, and to make a commitment towards Christ. I think that should be our defining thing. Mm. Because I was in the hospital eight years ago, in, uh, in 2012, that's when I came for internship, there was a sense in which um, fellowships were warmer or that more people attended the fellowships or I don't know, there was probably a more spiritual environment then than there is now. And I wonder whether that's what makes people feel that we are less missional then and now. And I wonder if we're using the, the wrong yardstick 
to measure ourselves in terms of spirituality because I don't think it should be about um, religion or the outward show um, necessarily. I think it should be about how, how am I as an individual connected to God and how am I fulfilling uh, his purposes in this institution together with my other brothers and sisters in Christ. So that the fellowships are a time to spur each other on as opposed to a marker of how religious we are. <laughs> um, the engagements we have, the staff meetings we have, the audits we have, the I don't know, whatever it is, it is how am I fulfilling God's purpose alongside my colleagues in this bigger purpose of ensuring that everyone in the hospital gets to know and feel the love of Christ. So for me, that should be, that is how I look at it. Mm. It's that when I come to work, it, it, there are the days where it's like, it's already 9.30 and I need the day to end. But there, it, it should be, what does God want me to do today? And you, you're asking yourself all the same question. And someone else is asking themselves that same question. In the overall picture, that everyone I meet and interact with needs to uh, that God would use me to help them feel his love yeah I like that it's something that I've been struck by it's happened several times lately and I've heard of it before I know it's a normal thing but it's a new thing for me where just something that's really bothering me mm-hmm. I'll take it to someone else and find that it's, this is bothering them also and then we'll take it to the next person. This is bothering me too. <laughs> and once you get to the third person, oh, maybe God is in this yeah. like thing that we're trying to do. Like mm-hmm. it's not just it's just not not just my crazy idea that God is actually leading us somewhere. Mm-hmm. I like how you differentiate re- religiosity versus spirituality. I've heard stories. This was before our time, but it used to be that that ladies had to wear skirts. <laughs> And below that was the knee. Yeah, below the knee. And that was the measure. But it brings up the question of what is God really calling us to? There's spirituality of it. And then there's also the working with excellence. And then I think a lot of you're a great example of it, of somebody who has gone through the entire pr- training process and now thinks about the world through this lens. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you probably would have anyway. But there are people like who who come here to learn to be medical with a godly framework mm-hmm. and even when you guys do interviews I, I know that's sometimes part of the process yeah like i've heard stories that <laughs> this one was perfect but this one really needs us yeah and that's part of why you accept them to you know to internship or the training program mm-hmm. and i think that's really significant yeah, that's true. I think the the opportunity to rub on, on each other, a sense of living for God and just stopping the dichotomy of my work life and my spiritual life and, and making it one because that's what God desires of us. And the opportunity to rub on, on each other, to remind each other, to encourage each other, to learn from each other. Um, so that even when we you live you know because i think that's one of the things about kijabe many come many are trained many live you hope that you are spreading seeds <laughs> yeah, so to speak um that that grow in other areas so that we 
we are ambassadors not only of uh, a good medical practice or excellent medical practice but also a good work ethic inspired by our lord jesus himself yeah that's awesome mm. i love that one last question what does generosity mean to you 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 may have interacted with many of us in an african context where we have so much of a burden from our families our extended families because for us families are still extended and it is few of us that have broken through and the entire family looks at you um, like when you say broken through like higher education like yeah like higher, higher yeah, sorry like we've gotten to high school then we went to high then we went to um, had our first degree um and then even masters you know <laughs> and 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 many of us come from that that sort of setup and and everyone looks at you and because you drive a car they think you are such millionaires and you have endless resources that just never run out and that was such a dilemma for us um because you have these resources versus this big need and you they're your family so i mean <laughs> even if you say no today you'll go home visit them and they'll still have the opportunity to ask again and it's like you know some of them it's like the persistent widow you're like ah let me just do something <laughs> and and i think for jeff and i we have uh, had to define generosity in the context of stewardship mm. so that we see we earn 100 shillings uh what what are our responsibilities and what can we learn i think it's in the context of stewardship and contentment it's like so what are the things that we can do that are not extravagant what are the things that our children really do need and 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 answering that question in in a very honest way um you know there are times um joshua compares us because we still have friends in the same circle who who have more leeway financially and josh would be like mom we don't have this we don't have that but you're like <laughs> and he's beginning to notice differences in our spending with other families but even just helping him to understand hey, this is what we need and and the rest are all luxuries that we maybe don't need for now so how do you answer the question of what do you genuinely need what are your other needs and then what percentage of our income are we going to spend on anything besides ourselves and then when you look at that, uh, if you'll see it is 30% or whatever, then using that 30% to address whoever it is that you need to address. Because I think, um, I think without looking at it in the lens of stewardship and contentment at an individual level, you burn your fingers and you lose sight of responsibilities that still come to you eventually. You still have the responsibility to support whoever it is you need to, to give, to, 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 to share or whatever. But you do it um, knowing that God has given us these resources and expects us to be good stewards mm-hmm. about it. Um, and not neglecting our role to the poor and the needy in society. Mm. Yeah. I like that. Mm. And granted, there are times you will still overshoot what you have allocated for the month. Um, but also just realizing that uh, God is faithful to meet and provide. 
I, I, I think it's hard to, to, for me to discuss money without having to remind myself that it is God in the first place who has given it to us. <laughs> you, you just have to keep reminding yourself, yes, you worked hard, yes, you earned that money, but <laughs> yes, it is God that has allowed you to work hard and God has allowed you to be in that place to be paid. <laughs> um, yes, so also just ultimately realizing that um, it is God that has given us all this. Yeah. That's a really good framework. Mm. And I like how you answered that. Yeah, I think it's a helpful answer to where somebody can can understand both how it's a fairly nuanced difference because it's the same it's the same reality for everybody in the world. And um I've never been one of these people, but I've even heard really, really wealthy people say the same thing. Like mm. there's no point at which you have enough money to where you can do everything that you want to do. Like even Bill Gates, like he would love to push a button right now and end the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, he's trying to, but even he doesn't have enough money to make the the oh, big challenge go away. Yeah. I do think it's it is it is interesting. Um, yeah, the family obligation that 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 you have, because um, I do want to point that out. I mean, our generation of people, you know, probably 40 or younger. I'm, I'm sure there's people out in the villages that maybe have more kids, but I feel like people usually, maybe it's like two or three, or, mm. you know, tops four kids. Mm. But your parents' generation... Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was how many, like seven, eight, nine, Ooh. ten siblings? Yeah. So, like, when you talk about family, you might have 40 or 50 or 60 cousins. Like, oh. that's normal, right? Yeah. I don't know all my cousins. That's reality. <laughs> So, for instance, my grandfather married five wives. What an example for anyone to follow. And and I, I, I comfortably know uncles of two of their wives. For three of their wives, I still get introduced to them. Of course, the children now are... Okay, let's even look at Jeff's family. His grandfather had two wives. I think there were 20 children in total. So, those are his uncles. Then now, think now yeah. of, of now Jeff's cousins. And then now, the cousins are now giving birth to more. So I think Jeff says he has more than a hundred cousins, and then now you have those children, and it's like you can never help everyone. Mm. You can never address everyone's need. Mm. So it is just about priority, and for us, our priority is education. So at any given point, you'll find us educating at least five other people, mm. um, because we we believe that they equalize us. So it's education, and and mm. any time we get to meet with them, it's. Uh, God and education, as you know. <laughs> <laughs> From what I've heard, that's completely normal. You would have a really hard time finding any consultant at Kijabi who's not yeah, yeah, put, yeah. putting it is a lot of <laughs> a lot of people through school. Yeah, hmm. and and thankfully, primary school is now free, so you have many people who are um, who have the basic education. Mm -hmm. You you may need a few. But it's not it's not ridiculous, like maybe three thousand or five thousand in addition to what the government is sponsoring. But a lot of the burden now comes at high school level and mm. tertiary level, um, mm. which is more expensive but is necessary. And yeah. But then university is largely government subsidized? So it depends. Okay. And and for us that's one of the things that we, we tell our family members. We we have so many of you to educate, so you just have to enter one of the government subsidized programs. 
um, for those that don't do well, there are the technical uh, institutions that are not as expensive but live with life skills like uh, catering or basic electrical training that will get you a job anywhere. Or mm. yeah, so sometimes that's how we spread, you, so that you are able to to help a bit more. And sometimes we have negotiations with the family and tell them if I do this for you, then that robs me from helping a child from this other family, and so it's. Yeah. it's it's how you balance that out. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then I guess the other side is, I mean, you're being generous in this way on top of what you're doing all day for your job. I mean, that's, I think at the core, I mean, medicine done well is at the core about generosity. I mean, it's yeah. just serving people in their time of need. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, because, you know, many many times you think of generosity in the financial sense, mm. but there's also the service sense that you're mm. talking about. And mm. I think in the service sense, it's what? It is um, just striving to be excellent, and occasionally that means going out of your way, you know? Uh, you are not on call, but it is uh, following up on that person. You are not on call, but you're trying to help linkages in ensuring that someone gets a bed for dialysis. You know, it's... It's the extra mile. It's the extra mile, yeah. which is... Uh, they say you never have competition on the, the road to the extra mile. What is that phrase? Is that phrase I like, like that. that. <laughs> yeah, it's never crowded. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Okay. And, and, and and I have to say I don't think that is me only. I think every doctor in Kijabe has that. Um, I think it is just um, I, I, I don't know that it's just the environment or the workload <laughs> or I don't know, but I, I see it in very many people here and, and that is very commendable. I don't know that it's it's become a, a culture. Maybe it is a culture that People just move. You just don't leave a patient because it's 5 p.m. or, or you fail to care just because it's not your relative. I I see that a lot amongst people here, and I think it's very commendable. Yeah, and it's amazing. It makes a difference to people. Yeah. Checking Masharia the other day, but a patient came from Sierra Leone. Whoa. <laughs> So, so to arrange the clinic appointments, you had to write a letter for visas and arrange a driver to pick in Nairobi and bring to Kajabi. And then, I mean, it was, you know, like 20 emails before they come to clinic. <laughs> that is the extra mile. Yeah. And then this lady's booked for surgery tomorrow. And that's pretty cool. Wow. Oh, that's really awesome. Yeah. I know you, all of you guys are doing that all day, every day. Yeah. And, and I think that's the part where we have to be careful, even as we do that, to ensure that we don't burn out. Because it is such a characteristic of, of staff here. Mm -hmm. It's probably just the culture um, that, that we found or, or that we, we hold dear. It's not unusual for people to take work at home, you know, like... Yeah. Like, yeah, so just how do you strike that balance? But And in a sense, I, I wonder whether it is one of the reasons why we are struggling to recruit because you see in government hospitals people are just required to work two days a week <laughs> you know um, for instance like a surgeon in government is just required to have a major ward round a clinic and a theater list so if you can get to do that in one or two days that's okay but here you'll work monday to saturday morning <laughs> and a few more hours at night you know and 
and yeah you'll be tired yeah you'll complain a little about it but the following day you'll wake up and continue <laughs> um and the work ethic is admirable mm-hmm. um, when when striked with a balance mm-hmm. yeah yeah and that's the yeah it does make recruiting a challenge but in some ways probably is good and that nobody nobody comes here without a calling it's true like you, you know <laughs> very true like it is a selection yes <laughs> it, it it selects the, the the culture itself selects the process for you because everyone knows that out there about kijabe and tenwek and you know it's mm-hmm. yeah there you're working part of any other thoughts you have no not really i think i think we've covered everything i think for me it is just um going back to the whole idea of what does god want me to do mm. and doing that obediently and excellently you know one time we were doing sunday school with joshua and and there was a question on um marks of obedience and you know immediate uh, it needs to be obedient immediate uh, cheerful uh, completely and there's a fourth c but yeah like once once the lord has told us that, what does god want me to do and me doing it obediently and excellently and i think that if we all answered that question there's a sense in which i feel that even my post would not be necessary because my post is about uh are we providing um quality care are we ensuring that our patients are safe are we doing the right thing are we keeping to ourselves accountable to the standards that we held and um Yeah, I think if I was consistent in answering that question every day, what does God want me to do today? And and part of that means just taking time of course because you have to take time to be with God to know what he wants you to do today, <laughs> you know, in in prayer and in reading your word and in meditation. Um but I think if if get just getting the time to spend that time with God to understand what does he want me to accomplish in this day, in this time, in this season. And once I know it, um doing it obediently and excellently. That's a good closing thoughts. <laughs> I love it. Thank you, Faith. You're welcome.